give you all a warm welcome to our service tonight. We'll begin by singing from Psalm 36 and sing Psalms. This on page 44, and we'll sing verses 5 to 10. Your steadfast love is great, O Lord, it reaches heaven high. Your faithfulness is wonderful, extending to the sky. Verses 5 to 10. Shall we pray? Lord, it's good for us to draw near to you, uh, the living God. We thank you that your word tells us that if we draw near to you, 
you will draw near to us. Um, a meeting uh, that has great potential. Not because we can contribute anything to the meeting, but because of what you can give. We thank you, Lord, that you have a range of blessings that can be conveyed to us even in our service here. Uh, we pray that you would um, speak to us about your wonderful plan of salvation, the way it begins and the way it will end. And we pray, Lord, that as we think about a passage that highlights for us your uh, wonderful uh, destination that you've arranged for your people that we would be encouraged as we make our way through life at this present time there are many things that uh, discourage us as we engage in serving you and life can bring to us all kinds of circumstances uh, in which we need your help. We live in an unchristian age where the, the church is uh, at the edge of society and where our opinions no longer carry any weight. And sadly that means that as far as our society is concerned your words don't carry any weight either uh, but that doesn't mean that uh, your word is, has lost its power and therefore we pray that as we think about it tonight that your word would would give us light and that your word would encourage us and that your word would just show us how we should live. We pray that uh, as we look ahead uh, to the world to come that its details that are found in your word that they would help us as we think about them and that the prospect of being in a perfect world would help us while we live in an imperfect one. So Lord, we pray that you would uh, meet with us and by your Holy Spirit um, give us insight into your great plan. We pray you'd remember <coughs> all your people throughout the world. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that while things are low in this country, that in other countries, things are going the other way and there are many parts of the world where your cause is flourishing and we thank you Lord for that and we realize that many of those places not so long ago were in, under the grip of various kinds of pagan darkness but now the gospel's light is shining brightly and we can take comfort from that, that knowing that what you are doing in those places uh, you can do here 
But we pray, Lord, that you would bless your church uh, throughout the world and remember all your people, whatever they are. We know that some of them live in poverty and others live in situations of uh, natural disasters and others are being persecuted. A whole range of circumstances. We don't really know very much about any of these things. But uh, we thank you, Lord, that you do. You know those who are yours, and we pray that you would speak comfortably to them all, all your people throughout the world. Remember every service that's taking place in our own country tonight, and there's probably far more than we actually realize, but we just pray, Lord, that you would uh, speak through them where the numbers there are large or small, and that there would be a great harvest today, in our country and in throughout the world. We just pray, Lord, for the growth of your kingdom and that you would do that. Remember us here too. We pray you bless each person connected to the congregation and every family connected to it, that they would experience uh, your touch in their lives, whatever it is that they require. And we pray that you would just remember all of them and help them uh, where they are. Lord then be with us in our service we pray. We thank you that meeting together uh, can be like a spiritual oasis in a dry desert. And we just pray that this, the Lord's day would help us to live the other days in this week. So be with us we pray and bless us just now and pardon us we ask for Christ's sake. Amen. We can sing again to God's praise this time from Psalm 107 in the Scottish Psalter. It's on page 382. And we'll sing verses 1 to 9. Praise God, for he is good, for still his mercies lasting be. Let God's redeemed say so, whom he from the enemy's hand did free. Verses 1 to 9. Praise God, for he is good, for still his mercy blessing be. Let God's reading take all for he from
can read from the book of Revelation and chapter 7 and we can read verses 9 to 17 Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 to 17 After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And may God bless that reading to us. We can sing again this time from the same psalm, Psalm 107, from the Scottish Psalter, verses 26 to 32, on page 3. Eight four. They mount to heaven and to the depths they do go down again. Their soul doth faint and melt away with trouble and with pain. Twenty six to thirty two.
Well, we can turn back to the passage you read there from Revelation chapter 7. And we can notice a few things that are mentioned in it. Sometimes um, when we are feeling stressed or finding life um, hard or we've got tension or something like that, um, the advice that is given to us is to get a change of scenery, to um, go somewhere else and just something that's nice to look at and just um, spend some time staring at it. A lot of people find it quite therapeutic to go and look at the sea. And um, and I quite like doing that myself. And I've no idea how looking at the sea has that calming effect, but it does. And it doesn't matter if the sea is calm or if it's wild or something. We're looking at it that just... Um, helps. But anyway, a change of scenery is um, useful, isn't it? And uh, as we, as it were, spend all our time looking at the world that is temporary, then it's good for our spiritual vision to spend time looking at the world that is permanent. And we're invited to do that here, aren't we, by the Apostle John. He was, um, as we know, at this particular time, in exile on Patmos, as a very old man, because he was a follower of Jesus. And although he was on an island, looking at the sea wouldn't have helped him very much in the circumstances he now found himself in. He had to see something grander. And so Jesus sent him this vision. The entire book of Revelation. It's a message of comfort to the, to the church of the first century. Which was being uh, harassed and persecuted and... Um, almost on the edge of survival. At this particular time, the Roman Emperor Diocletian was engaged in a futile exercise, which was to get rid of the Christian church. And as we look back, it's his empire that has disappeared, not the Christian church. But anyway, that's the kind of circumstances that um, John lived in and, um, and the others, no doubt the many others who were suffering for the faith. And the answer from heaven was to think about heaven. And as we live in a world which is very different from the first century, but there's a, the same kind of attempt going on, to get rid of the church and 
Where are we to look as we face this uh, attack that's coming our way? And the answer, of course, is to think of heaven. It's not escapism. It's, it's the ones who don't think of heaven who are engaged in escapism. Because they are thinking merely about the temporal. But there's an eternal world to come. And it's good for us, I think, to think about it. And so here we have a change of scenery given to John. And sometimes it's the bigger the panorama, the better. Isn't that the case? Just to climb a hill and see the, the, the countryside and whatever else is there stretching out in front of you for miles. Just the sense of the bigness of it all just helps and we don't know the size of um, heaven but if you think about it it's big enough to hold a number that no one can count I don't know how many billion are on the world today but we can count them But what planet in our solar system is big enough to hold a number that no one can count? So here we've been asked to gaze at something that's um, huge. <coughs> Indeed, Revelation is, does that quite a lot. If we took the dimensions of the New Jerusalem literally you're talking of 1500 miles which means it would stretch to Italy or somewhere <coughs> from here it's only a picture of course but it is pointing to the bigness of it all especially as its height is as long or as high as its length and so on so God says to us think about something that's really big later this year different political parties are going to be asked what's your big idea and they'll come out with something but we have a big reality to look at heaven now the book of Revelation as we know is a complex book at one level but at another level it's, um, it's obviously expected to be understood and one way of um, helping us to understand it is the questions that appear throughout it and this scene in chapter 7 from verses 9 to uh, 17 is an answer to the question that's given at the end of chapter 6 
Because at the end of chapter 6, there's this rather fearsome sight of people hiding from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? That's the question, who can stand? And when we turn to verse 9 of chapter 7, we find who can stand. Because he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne of God, before the throne, sorry, and before the Lamb. So here's the answer to the what seemed to be a question that seemed impossible to answer. After all, if the Almighty God is angry, who can stand before his throne? Well, the answer is millions, billions, a number that no one can count. They are there. So this panoramic scene, I would just like us to reflect on a few things that are mentioned in it. Got three headings. The groups, who are there? Two groups. There's humans and angels. We can think about them for a minute. And then secondly, there's the question and answer that's... um, Mentioned there in verses um, 13 and 14. And then lastly the prospect. From the rest of the verses in the chapter. Where the the elder that is speaking to John. Gives him a remarkable vision. And does so by using three couplets. And um, we'll just think about them when we come to it. So as we gaze on the big picture, the ultimate picture, we see that there are two groups in it, humans and angels. And John says certain things about each of these groups. And what does he say about uh, the humans? Well, we mentioned one of them already. That is a multitude that no one can number. That's one thing that's mentioned about it. But then the second detail that's mentioned about the humans is that it is a, a global gathering. That they're going to come from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages. So, it's quite good to look at an atlas and point to an island in the middle of the Pacific and say to yourself they're going to come from there or point anywhere on this map of the world and they might seem to be unlikely places from where the redeemed are going to come but yeah they're going to be there You know, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, 
go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. He wasn't just giving to his, um, his apostles an aspiration. He was actually giving to them, it's obviously a command, but he was actually giving to them a prediction. That when they went into all the world, wherever they would go, there would be disciples. And that's still true today. And it's heaven on this great amazing day when we see the number that no one can count. They're going to come from everywhere. Extraordinary in-gathering. And not only are they global and innumerable, but they're presented as being victorious because they are standing there in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And in the ancient world, uh, the sign of victory was to wave palm branches. And when the Roman generals would come back from their campaigns, having crushed an enemy once again, they would be welcomed with um, palm branches. People celebrating, put on their best clothes and so on. They would be dressed, as it were, in white robes. So this, this gathering and this future day is, is the gathering of the victors. It's not the gathering of the defeated. It's not the gathering of the crushed. I mean, they may have endured, and we'll see in a minute, that they did endure terrible things. But if we're going to be part of this great crowd, we're on the victory side. And uh, there is coming a day when that victory will be seen in all its in all its spread. Nothing but triumph. And this great crowd of humans, they are praising God for that wonderful reality. Singing, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And when they refer to salvation here, it's not the view of salvation that we have now. I mean, our view of salvation now is to be, uh, normally is to be pardoned of our sins. But the view of salvation that they have when this um, song is being sung is complete salvation. That all of God's people will have been not only redeemed but restored resurrected and there they're celebrating the fullness of God's great plan and it's good to think about that isn't it that's our destiny if we are the people of God and then there's the angels and Angels are interesting creatures. And the Bible's got a lot to say about them. And, you know, Paul tells us, for example, that they're, they're present in every Christian gathering. Which actually means that there's at least one here. And uh, we can't see them. And... Who knows why they come to Christian gatherings? 
I mean, Paul, writing to the Ephesians, says that they learn lessons from the church. They discover the because they, they don't experience salvation. Because they've never been lost. But they they see us and they just observe. And of course it may be the case that they after they've been here or whatever in a Christian gathering for the, they go back and report on their assignment. Maybe it's just imagination of course, but maybe they say to one another, Well, what did you see? But anyway, they are interesting creatures. Because we're told about all of them all of them serve the heirs of salvation. Not just some of them. But every one of them. Are they not all says in Hebrews chapter 1 are they not all sent out to serve the heirs of salvation I mean they got they don't get tired so their contribution is constant and who knows in what ways they serve God's people but that's what they're doing and it's nice to know that but uh, here is at the end and there's three groups of angels mentioned in this uh, passage and which is a reminder that even as the redeemed are different come from different um, uh, nations and so on not all the angels are the same and there's those here who are just called angels there in verse um, 11 and all the angels were standing round the throne we're not told here how many angels there are although we are told how many of the other two kinds there are but um, elsewhere in the book of Revelation we're told about those who are classified as angels we're told that there's millions and millions of them so I suppose we could call them uh, general angels just this this rank this, um, don't want to say it's the lowest rank because well angels are important creatures but there's this rank of um, angels then above them there are the 24 elders and we're told elsewhere in Revelation chapter 4 and 5 that these 24 elders are all seated on thrones. So they've got, they've got some kind of governing function that they, we don't know how it works, but they sit on thrones and therefore they have some kind of authority. There's different levels of angels and in chapters um, 4 and 5 they're there in their um, in their um, we might say in their augustness on a throne but what, what are they doing here as the day has arrived when God's great salvation has been achieved well we're told about these all these elders 
who normally sit on thrones, they with the angels and the living creatures, they're all, they all fall on their faces. I mean, angels have seen great sights. They saw the creation of the universe. And the book of Job tells us that when they sang for joy, as they saw the amazing ability of God. Because, in all probability, they hadn't seen God do anything before that. And maybe it was a kind of, whenever they were created, it was a kind of mystery to them. What can our God do? And therefore, in seven days, he created the universe. And they saw all this. But just by a word appears a universe. And of course, we don't know if it was during that week that the angels themselves were created. But um, anyway, they saw what God could do. And they might have wondered, can God do anything greater? They saw Adam fall and the human race plunge down to the bottom. What's going to happen now? They could say to one another, it's easy for our God just to destroy them all. One word can do that. But they discovered that God, their creator, had a wonderful plan. But they probably didn't know how big the plan was. How many are going to be delivered out of the human race? And here they are. Now, I would suspect that an angel has got a mind as good as a computer. But here they are. And they can't count the number. What God has achieved. They're totally overwhelmed. And they just fall flat on their face. All they can do as they see this amazing sight is worship just fall down it's almost as if they've got no words to describe what they've just seen that's the ones who are on the throne elevated angels but they're joining the angels that were not on a throne and they're all flat, as it were, on their faces before God. And then there's the four living creatures. The cherubim, the seraphim, the guardians of God's throne. The ones that have got a duty of protection. You know, when, I, when Isaiah saw them in chapter 6, he was petrified. I mean, he didn't 
say, oh, it's nice to see us see the seraphim. And when one of them was flying towards him, I wonder what Isaiah thought. Is he coming to judge me? But he wasn't. He was actually coming to help Isaiah. But here are these amazing creatures. We read about them in Genesis chapter 4 and they're they guard the entrance to the Garden of Eden. That uh, they're to make sure no one gets in. And here as the new Eden comes, they don't stop any of the great crowd getting in. Instead, they, august creatures though they are, there they are before God in reaction to the redemption of humans there they are the seraphim they too according to the picture here are flat on their faces it's good for us to see that isn't it to know that this day is coming when the hosts of heaven will be so overwhelmed by the amazing ability of God that all they can do is worship. And as we think of um, this scene, what ideas come to our mind? Well, I suppose one that comes is our praise should be hearty. Because both the humans, there in verse 10, and later on the angels in verse uh, 12, they're celebrating. They're singing because the day has arrived. But surely we can sing that the day is coming. So our praise should be hearty. Because this is not a possibility that's been described here. This is God's purpose. And it will, it will happen. And therefore, praise should reflect that. A second thing that might come from it is, of course, harmony. I mean it's great to get Jews and Gentiles together but here we have angels and humans together very different creatures but here they are together praising God and if that's the future should also be the present and there's also Humility. You know, when John saw an angel later on in the book, he fell on his feet to worship it. But that was a wrong humility. The angel told him not to do it but to worship God. But here, as we look at this incredible sight, 
the whole of heaven is marked by humility. And that's a very important lesson. So that's the two groups. But then there's the question that's asked and the answer that's given. Now, if you were uh, an elder, we're meant to use our imagination. If you were an elder and you saw somebody standing there who you imagined or thought didn't know what was happening, what would you do? Well, you'd go up to him and ask him, does he know what's happening? And that's what this elder does, one of these angels. He, he comes up to John and, <laughs> I mean, John, John is the visitor, if you want to put it that way. You don't usually ask a visitor the question. But of course the angel is asking the question so he can give the answer. And the elder says to John, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? Now the angel could have asked John all kinds of questions. He could have said to him, What do you think of the throne you're seeing? Or, or what do you think of all these angels who are gathered round? And, or what do you think of the fact that all of them have just engaged in incredible worship where they were all um, bowed down before God he doesn't ask them any of these questions instead he asks them about the humans who are these clothed in white robes and from whence have they come two questions who are they and where have they come from and of course John says basically I don't know but you know and the angel replies where have they come from they've all come from the same place which might seem to be a contradiction of what was said earlier but they're coming from different nations and they're, they've all come from different periods of time yet they've all come from the same place whether it's from the first century or the 21st century They've all come out of what John calls the Great Tribulation. I wonder if we were to publish a book of world history, what title would we give to it? Well, one title that would suit it would be the Great Tribulation. Because down through the centuries, that's where the church has been. It's not any worse than any time and as other times, as far as the global situation is concerned. Every period is part of the Great Tribulation. And uh, they've come out of it. And almost at every period, it seems they'll never get through it. The opposition and the persecution might become so intense is the church going to survive? Well, all of them are going to come out of the great tribulation. Nothing can stop them getting to this destination. 
but they look different. Or certainly they've engaged in a process of being suitably dressed. That seems very unusual. Because certainly they're clothed in white. But how did they get such white garments? Well, they got them because they washed them in blood. But we know if blood touches anything, they don't become white. But the blood of Jesus, the blood of the Lamb, it's unique blood. And it provides these un, this innumerable number with the suitable garments to wear in the presence of the king. The king on his throne. It's hard to tell whether the picture here of perfection, the garments of salvation that they got on, does that refer to justification when we're made right in the sight of God? Or does it refer to completed sanctification when we're holy actually? Perhaps both are in the, sto- in the picture. Because when this great day comes, we will have been not just pardoned, we'll have been purified. And I suppose there's a reminder here of our own responsibility that they washed their robes. It's not that, as it were, God washed their robes, although we know that he would have done. But here it's been stressed that they washed their robes. And as I was thinking about that, I just said to myself the obvious question. What have I done with my sins of today. Have I taken myself and washed them in the blood of the Lamb? To do anything else is an insult to God. He has provided the remedy, the only remedy. And we have got to take ourselves to the blood of Christ. We have to say to God, apply the blood of Christ to me. All of us have to say that. There's no other way to become white. We don't become white by doing the best we can we don't become white by becoming religious although it is good to have a subsequent religious life after being cleansed but we have to take our personal sins to the blood So that's the question and the answer.
But the elder's not finished, and we'll just look briefly at the prospect. He gives to John, as I mentioned earlier, three couplets. The first one's there in the first half of verse 15. Therefore there before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. You could say that's their place and it's going to play their practice. It's a strange throne because it's not in a palace. It's in a temple. The throne of God is, I mean no doubt that it would be a majestic location. But it's not described as a palace. It's described as a temple. And because it's a temple, they have to worship. Because it's worshippers that go into a temple. Subjects may go into a palace. But it's worshippers that go into a temple. And the service that they're offering here, well, it's quite extraordinary. It's day and night. It's constant. How can they do that? How can this innumerable number, forever and ever, engage in serving in the temple? Can you get an answer to that where Paul says to the Ephesians that now they have the first fruits of the Spirit? And he enables them to do certain things now with the first fruits. But the first fruits was only a very small sample of the fullness that they were to have. And there, in this great day of days, if we are part of this innumerable number, we'll have the Holy Spirit in his fullness. And, that, and he will enable all of them as well as each of them, to behave exactly the way they should in the, in the Father's temple. And they will worship him with divine energy forever and ever. That's a marvelous reality, isn't it? The prospect before us includes endless worship. Then there's a second couplet, and that's the second half of verse 15 and verse 16. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence, and because he does that, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. I mean, it's basically saying here, John is basically saying here that the throne or the one on the throne is the shelter the idea there is that they're covered with a tent it's a kind of tabernacle he who sits on a throne will tabernacle over them and it's a huge it's a huge tent isn't it if it can cover the space that's occupied by a number that no one can count 
And I'm sure we've all been to weddings and marquees. And inside the marquee, there's well, the guests are got their best clothes on, and they're feasting of what's been provided. And that's just a faint picture of the eternal experience. Protection. The point is not to ask who's going to attack them. But the point is, even if someone tried, they can't attack them. Over them is this God is their shelter. And they will never have any needs again. And they'll never be affected by adverse circumstances like the sun striking them and so on. Just perfection. All along the way. And then there's a third couplet. We'll stop with this. The lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's possible to read this verse as saying that Jesus as the shepherd will lead them here and there throughout heaven. But the, the unusual feature of the illustration is that Jesus shepherds them without leaving the throne. The lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. So maybe the picture here is not so much him taking them from the throne to discover something out there in heaven. But maybe he's taking them in the opposite direction. And he's taking them into the throne. Because the springs of living water, well that's a picture of God. I mean God is the source of living water. And in the world to come, that's who we're going to get to know. The living God. And Jesus you want to put it this way he's going to say to this great number come with me and discover God and living water satisfies forever and strangely the effect of going with Jesus to the springs of living water is that the great multitude have tears. Why would they have tears in the land of no problem? I suspect as Jesus takes them in and then shows to them the goodness of God and they discover just what was involved in their salvation their emotions will just be overwhelmed 
we weep at good things as well as at bad things. Things just become so awesome. And as we discover what God has planned for us, and it just overwhelms us on this great day, our Heavenly Father is personally going to comfort each one of the number that no one can count. And he's just going to say to them, it's all for you. The goodness of God is all for you. And it will take the rest of eternity just to discover what all that is. So here we've seen a change of scenery. And we've gazed on a panorama. A panorama that has no end. I hope all of us will be there. Shall we pray? Lord, we give you thanks for giving us this picture of the world to come. Help us, Lord, to see it as a means of helping us to cope with the stresses of life and that we would gaze on the glory to come. Show us, Lord, something of the incredible inheritance that you have for the number that no one can count. Lord, help us just to see how good is the God we adore. Lord, bless us, we pray, for your own name's sake. Amen. We'll conclude by singing from Psalm 17 and sing psalms. We can sing verses 14 and 15, three, three stanzas. Save me by your right hand from all such people, Lord, from mortal men who in this life will have their sole reward. Verses 14 and 15.
of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father,